Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to TIBCO's Ask the SOA Expert podcast. I'm your host, Rob Meyer. Purpose of this podcast series is to give you best practices and solutions to help you be successful with SOA. Now, today's podcast is all about governance and development, which is a hot topic for a lot of companies. With us today to talk about governance is Paul Brown, TIBCO's Global Principal Architect at TIBCO and author of Succeeding with SOA, which is published by Addison Wesley. Paul, welcome and thanks for joining us. Thanks, Rob. I'm glad to be here. So, Paul, what is SOA governance during development and and why is it so important? Well, the importance really relates to the economic realities of SOA. We get a return on investment with services when we reuse the services or when the services provide a level of isolation between an implementation that's changing and a client that wants to use the service. But while those return on investments are there, building a service always costs more than implementing the functionality in a conventional way. So we need governance to make sure that we build the services only where there will be a return on investments in the future, and we need governance to make sure that the services that already exist are used when appropriate. So what are some of the processes that IT organizations put in place to make this trade-off to govern these decisions? Well, during the development cycle, there are a number of places where we really need to introduce governance activities to make all of this happen. One is right up front in the project where we just make sure the project gets off with the correct expectations. The critical one, then the second one, is the architecture step where we make sure that services are being created and used appropriately before we've made any investment in implementation. A third one is in the uh, pre-deployment step where we make sure that we've not only built the service but all of the associated documentation and all of that that has to go there. And finally, in post-deployment, after we put that service out there, we want to make sure that it's operating properly and that the demands for it uh, reflect our expectations. So the first step is really about making sure that you're choosing a service that's going to be reused, whether it's worth the investment. And the second step is more getting into the details of how should you actually build the service? The second step is a refinement of the first step, really. Now we've got enough detail about where we intend to use the service can we really convince ourselves that there is reusability, that I can use the service not just in the current context, but in future context? Okay. And now that I've fleshed out my application in more detail, did I use the existing services as they were appropriate? Really, before we go investing in any implementation, we want to make just sanity check. Okay, and then the pre-deployment? Since we're planning to use the service in more than one context, we want to make a bigger investment than we normally would in terms of testing and in terms of documentation. We expect other people to be able to use the service. So we want to make sure that we've appropriately documented the service. We want to make sure we've done capacity planning, that the service will be able to handle not only the usage from the first application, but for subsequent applications as well. And finally, we want to make sure that the operational procedures are all in place to help us monitor the service and make sure it's working properly to track the growing demand on the service so that we can uh, do uh, capacity planning as required. And in examining all of this, we see the source of the additional cost involved in putting services out there, the better quality documentation, better testing, formal capacity planning and operational procedures. These are the things that give the service the reliability and availability that we want, but they also add to the cost. And then the fourth step was post-deployment. 
correct. When we put a service out there, we had some expectations when we designed it about the level of utilization we'd expect. We need to actually measure and see what we're getting. If we're getting a larger demand than we had anticipated, then we're going to need to put more resources on that service in order to keep the service level agreements within specification. We also want to monitor to make sure that we're satisfying the service level agreements that we've established for the service. Now, how are technologies like registries and repositories used in these four different processes? Let's talk first about registries. A registry is basically a mechanism for registering services and their access points so that people can locate them. Secondarily, many registries provide you the capability to essentially register with the registry to be notified when some of this information changes. Now, the dream of registries originally was that we'd be able to uh, dynamically discover and use services wherever we want to. The reality is, though, that for a number of reasons, it's impractical to, at runtime, go and discover and use services. First of all, there's a limited amount of information available in the registries for even locating the service that you want. And secondly, most service providers want some control over who has access to the services both in terms of capacity planning and in terms of security. So it turns out that UDDI registries are used primarily in development, either to uh, provide information about services that are currently under development so that uh, potential users of the service can begin to play with the service in the development world. And also in development, We want deployed versions of services that are already in production, but they're there in the development environment to support the development of new service consumers. How about repositories? Well, repositories contain a broader set of information and artifacts, which can be divided into a couple of categories, design time and runtime information. Now, design time information is where we would find short descriptions of services, uh, descriptions of the intended utilization, the user guides and documentation, the specification, operation and maintenance guides, lots of information that goes well beyond what we can put in a UDDI uh, registry. The runtime part of the repository contains things like the actual deployment information, the the capacities and service level agreements of the different services, the policies regarding their access control, audit and logging, routing, and the like. And the picture of what should be in the repository is actually beginning to change now. We're going more with our Active Matrix product and uh, JBI-style deployments in general to a design paradigm where the service providers and consumers are essentially designed to match the abstract WSDL, not the concrete WSDL. And they don't get bound to a concrete endpoint until the moment they're actually deployed. So since we're deferring this deployment decision and this binding to the endpoint, we need to record the endpoint information when we finally uh, do the deployment. So we're finding this additional information showing up in the repository, which is becoming a superset of the registry. So this makes it easier to move the services around? Is that the idea? Absolutely. So that since the consumer and the provider know nothing about the physical locations of the other parties, it becomes very easy to move the service provider around, to do load distribution, and all kinds of things to make it easier to provision and utilize the services. So, Paul, do you have any recommendations for our listeners out there 
on how they should get started with governance and development? Well, first, we want to focus on the activities that are required to actually get a return on investment. These are things like using good design practices, consistently using the technology, making sure that we can access functionality on any platform where it's provided and from any platform that we would like to use it, and to invest in services only where appropriate. Now, from this, it should be obvious that the information that's contained in registries and repositories as they exist today is only a small part of the information that we need to really do governance. So we can still take advantage of registries and repositories, but they're not going to play the big role in governance. The big role in governance is focused around the process that we use for governance. Now, with respect to the registries and repositories, we can get effective use of UDDI registries in the development environment and then rely on more conventional promotion techniques for taking applications uh, into QA and into production as we would any other component that we were moving. Today, we'll see the repositories primarily focusing on the uh, runtime information, policies, dynamic deployment information, monitoring and logging rules and things like that. But watch this space. I I think this is an area that you'll see a lot of development in specifically in the repository area as the breadth of information available in the repository grows. Great. Thanks for all that information, Paul, and thanks for being here today. Oh, you're very welcome, Rob. That's Paul Brown, Global Principal Architect at TIBCO Software and author of Succeeding with SOA. I'm Rob Meyer. Thanks for listening to TIBCO's Ask the SOA Expert podcast. 